Free Trail fam, bonjour from Chamonix, France. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. It is officially UTMB week, and we are here to enjoy the spectacle and share our love for this amazing sport and this amazing event with you, the global trail running community, trail fans worldwide. This is a special time of year, and we are so happy to be here to enjoy it in person. We're going to be doing a daily show each morning recording in the heart of Chamonix covering all the major stories of this year's race. It is a special week-long series we're calling Good Morning Mont Blanc, which you're listening to now. Each day we'll have a star-studded group of rotating co-hosts to share their expert perspectives about the fields, the conditions, the races, and the results as they happen throughout the week. We're also going to be doing a ton of pre- and post-race interviews with some of the main contenders and the top performers. So make sure you're subscribed here or to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single second of our coverage. We are grateful for your support. We really hope you'll follow along and share it with your friends. Finally, thank you to Hoka and Camelback for making the shows possible this week. Make sure you play fantasy, fantasy fantasy.freetrail.com for a chance to win prize packages from these awesome brands. Thank you all so much for listening. Have an amazing UTMB week. Zach Miller, you hero, man. You champion second place here at the 2023 UTMB, running just under 20 hours in true Zach Miller fashion. They forced you to hammer all the way to the finish line. First things first, congratulations. How are you feeling? Uh, Thank you. Um, Yeah, feeling tired and a bit sore, but yeah, overall pretty good. Yeah, so starting with your training before we start talking about the race you said at the finish line in your interview that you sort of let go of the idea of tracking following and prescribing your own training in miles and instead you focused on vertical I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that and how you think in retrospect it played out yeah um well I mean I I guess to start I I started my year training for Tarawera um which is a drastically different race um it's a pretty runnable hundred miler down in New Zealand. So I, that race is in February. So through the winter, through like the holidays, through the winter, I did a lot of like, I, w- I was very mileage based, mm-hmm. did a lot of like road running, bike path running, like fairly mellow, like trail running in Bend, Oregon. Um, Still did some vert and stuff, but just kind of started there, building that base for Tarawera. Then race Tarawera. Then after Tarawera, I I feel like I was still uh, mile- a bit mileage focused, but also paid attention to to the vert a bit more as I got ready for World Championships, um, which was gonna be a I think it was like a 50, 50 55 mile race, something like that with uh, like 20,000. I think it was like 53 climb. miles and it was like 20, 20, 22,000 feet of vert, something like that. So, Sick. so very vert heavy race. Um, so I definitely upped the vert training for that. Um, but I didn't really shift into this like vert specific mindset until after that was over. Yeah. Um, going in, I think after training all those miles for, 
Tarawera yeah. and everything. I was just kind of like, you know what? Like, I think I'm kind of done with miles. Like I, I don't, I think I, I feel satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel the need to go out and run a specific mileage. And I think vert is like what is more intriguing to me right now. And what seems like would be helpful for you, Timby. So I just went into this like vert mindset of like, basically if I ran it, it was steep. That was pretty much it. Yeah. And it clearly <laughs> translated to, it seems like it, you unlocked the code here at UTMB this year. And maybe that was a reflection of a different training philosophy. Yeah. I mean, you know, do, can I ever say for certain, you know, not, right. not necessarily, but, but yeah, I think, I think it. it's easy to get a perception of what you think an appropriate amount of training is, whether it's mileage or hours or, mm-hmm. Or vert, and I think especially if you haven't really done like vert heavy training, you know, like you 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 kind of grow to what's around you, right? right. So if 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 everybody around you is just running like twenty thousand feet of vert or less, or is like, oh man, I did twenty five thousand feet of vert this week. That was a lot, yeah. and that's your perception of a lot. Yeah. There could be people, you know, somewhere else, like maybe in Europe, yeah. <laughs> training like way more. Yeah. And and it, it's just blowing what you're doing out of the water. And you don't really like it, it can take time to maybe like sort of figure that out and just sort of like um, redefine. How, what a lot what is. a lot is and yeah. you definitely redefined i'd encourage everybody to go look at your strava account anyway talking about the race so that we don't spend a million hours here with you today i'm sure you have a lot to do eventually it became a race of three somewhere during the night where you and tom and jim sort of separated from the pack tell us about that and and also the moment that you described in your post-race interview on the live stream where jim sort of put in a little bit of a surge on you going over the pyramids and, and Tom dropped back what your mindset was like there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of comical how similar the race was playing out to last year's race. Um, I mean, like last year, Jim and I like kind of hung back a little on the way to Lazuge, then caught up to the lead pack on that first climb. And then, you know, coming out of, uh, Coming out of Le Contamines and Notre Dame, it broke down to a, a pack of just me and Jim and Tom, mm-hmm. which was like pretty much the exact pack we had last year, yeah. save for Killian. Yep. Um, and just like last year, went up, called us in together, went down to the pier. It was super, visibility was super low in Italy. Yeah. Like we could barely see a thing over right. there. Like. You know, you're trying to decide whether or not, like, you should actually turn your headlamp down, <laughs> like, <laughs> like when you're driving with your high beams and your low beams and fog. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, anyways, but, like, we were up the call together and then went down to the base of the pyramids. And the question there in my mind was, like, okay, what's going to happen? And it was, like, last year it felt like Jim kind of surged there. It was, like, yep. is he going to surge up the pyramids? Um, but he didn't really seem to. Like, he went up them strong, but he didn't seem to be... He was he was chatty, so he didn't seem to be trying to drop us. Uh-huh. Um, and when we got over, Jim is very good going down the pyramids. Yeah. And last year, him and Killian just like ran away from me and Tom there. Um, this year was similar, but I could keep 
I could keep Jim's glimpses of Jim's headlamp in yeah. sight. So I was like, okay, he's not that far. Like he's, he's owning me on this technical train, but like he's, he's not all that far ahead. And we all left the aid station down there at Lock Ball, probably like 30, 30 seconds to a minute apart. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it did kind of feel like Jim was making a little move. I don't know if he was making a move so much as he was just better. He's maybe just better on that terrain. Yeah. Um, but he did get a little separation. I went off to kind of try to ca- kind of try to catch up, yeah. and that's where Tom, like on the climb there after Luck Combo, that's where Tom uh, fell back. Right. Um, he ultimately dropped in Cormier. Yeah, which was unfortunate. Um, but yeah, then I ran into Cormier. And he did a seventy-second crew exchange in Cormier. Yeah, I guess I it was efficient. I yeah. mean, I I don't want to neglect an aid station and misuse it, but I also don't want to use it more than I need to. So if things are going well, I just kind of go in, get what yeah. I need, and leave. Like, Officially 92nd yeah. crew exchange there in Cormier, which is incredibly yeah. efficient. So eventually, you know, you're sort of sitting just behind Jim on the Italian side, and I saw a replay of you going through Arnuva in the lead. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to describe the moment where you overtook Jim and realized that the elastic had broken and that you were now the clear leader of the race. Because it seemed to me in Arnuva, again, you were practicing this aid station efficiency, but it felt like you had a sense of urgency to you of like, okay, this is my moment now at the head of the race. Yeah, I was... I don't feel like I was like trying to make this big move at that point in the race. What happened was uh, coming out of Cormier, Jim was just a little bit. He left slightly before me. I stopped at a fountain on the way out of town to like cool off and get water uh, and just kind of take care of myself mm-hmm. before before going up the bulk of the climb. And so I lost sight of Jim. So then I just kind of fell into my own little rhythm up the climb. And it was actually really nice. Uh, big thing I changed this year was I actually intentionally took caffeine at Cormier because mm-hmm. I usually struggle like in that. It's like 2.33 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's a hard climb out. And then it's this beautiful rolling yeah. balcony trail where if you have legs and energy, you can just roll. Rip. And I always just feel terrible. Do you remember I passed you on the climb to the Birds Hill yeah, in 2017? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. And, and it's so depressing up there because you're like... I should be able to just roll up right. here. Um, and like, you feel so awful. So yeah, I took caffeine and, uh, I found this really nice. I didn't see Jim at the, um, at the aid at the top of the climb, but I just started going. I was like, okay, let's find my rhythm. I found this really nice rhythm and I just started going. And then before I knew it or after a while, I saw Jim's light and then it kept getting closer and I caught him, like, right, basically right at Bonatti. Like, right, just, like, below below it. Yeah, when you climb um, up there, short little climb. Yeah, you kind of come across the grass, and then you just go yeah. right straight up to, right up to it. And so I caught him basically right there. And then we ran together for a little bit. And then after a while, he was he was just gone. Like he, he just wasn't there anymore. And again, it wasn't like making this huge move. It was more just like, I'm in this good flow and I'm just going to keep, and I'm going to keep it going. Yeah. If I can take the lead, that's, 
like cool, but it's not like it's not like I'm sprinting. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like going at my pace. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing was I. I run uh, with a headlamp with a, a battery that's in my pack, so I have a cord going from my lamp to my to my battery. Yep. And I had had the cord a bit loose, so it, like all night it just kept smacking my back, <laughs> and it sounds just like someone's someone behind running you. behind you. And so like, <laughs> and it was doing this like all night, and you would think I would have just stopped and changed it, but like part of the reason I didn't because I was like. Well, that's actually kind of good because it's like motivating. It always makes me think yeah. there's somebody behind me, so it keeps me going. But when I passed Jim, I was running for a while. I was like, I couldn't tell if he was still behind me or not. I wasn't looking back. I was like, I don't know if he's if that's Jim's footsteps or if that's the headlamp. Just assume that's Jim, and right? The on headlamp here. cord. And I finally looked back at one point, and he wasn't there at all. I was like, oh, it's just the headlamp cord. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then we so, went down to our. Uh, the aid there yeah, at the base of Grand Call Frey. And yeah, I just went through nice and efficient and I was getting this little bit of a gap on Jim. Yeah. And it felt to me like, I mean, just like observing your body language, like you were feeling good and you understood like, okay, I've got separation on Jim. Yeah. Tom's no longer in the picture, which maybe you didn't realize at that point, but you know, you're at the lead of the UTMB going up, you know, a critical climb 100 kilometers into the race at the Grand Col Frey. It was then about 10 minutes by the time you got to La Folie, 10 or 11 at Champé-Lac, mm -hmm. too. And at Champé, again, you come into the aid station and say something to the effect of let's be efficient here. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding that, you know, any minute spent in there is a minute that uh, takes longer to get to the finish line. Anyway, so... Going, leaving Champé, of course, that's the sort of critical final 50K of the race. I guess just kind of walk us through how it played out between there and the finish, where Jim eventually overtook you and what that moment was like. Yeah, I, I uh, again, I just had this long stretch leading up to Champé where I just felt really good. And, I, and yeah, I was waiting for Champé. I was like, I'm pulling away, like, naturally. It's just, ha it's just kind of happening. Uh, like, I'm going to let it, let, you know, hopefully it continues. Um, but I'm really waiting for Champagne. I'm trying to get to Champagne nice and smooth. In my mind, race starts in Champagne. Um, and then we're going to go from there. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, the, champ the climb to Champagne was great. You looked so good. Oh, yeah, my God. Like, I felt, I felt yeah. so good. And I got to Champagne and was, like, was good. And I, l I left feeling really, uh, real good. And, um... Yeah, but from there to the finish, I felt really good on the the bovine climb is kind of funny. It starts like really mellow. It's actually like downhill into it, and then it's got this really mellow like cruiser runnable grade for like the first I don't know quarter to half, and then it has this like ugly just like steep like mix of rock and dirt and sun exposed yep. trail at the, at the end. Um, that's like the actual bovine climb. Yep. And, um, I felt really good on all the runnable bits leading up. And then when I got to that steep section, I mean, I was moving, but I didn't feel great. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel great. And when I got up like through the cows and as I was cresting, I, uh, I realized Jim and actually Germain were right behind, were not far behind. Like mm -hmm. I could see Jim yeah. and I was, I was really bummed. Like, cause I was like, 
Oh man, he I made had up ten minutes on that climb. I know, which mm-hmm. is really impressive to me because I know how I ran in the lower half of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, he must, if he was making up ground in the lower half, he must have been running so fast. I can definitely believe that he would have made up a bunch of time in the upper half because I was not so, feeling, feeling so, so good. good there. And you can really. When you're not feeling good on a climb like that, you can bleed a lot of time. Um, but I also was still moving. Like, I didn't feel like I was, like, blowing up, but I also, I just could have been going stronger. Yeah, I mean, you're still on sub-20-hour pace. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But, yeah, so I was bummed to s- that, you know, it's like the competition is good, but you're trying to hold on the lead. So yeah. it's like, oh, my goodness. And then, yeah, he caught me descending, Um and then we, we got to Trient was there any, almost the same time. Was there any exchange there when he passed uh, you? Yeah, I just said, like, I, I think I just said, I just said, like, nice work, Jim, yeah. or, like, good job or something. Cause we were doing that throughout the day. Of course, like, yeah. I think earlier, maybe when I had passed him, he had, he had said something similar, I think. I just think the fans of the sport would love to be a fly on the wall of that moment, two great yeah, American it champions. W- it was very brief. Yeah. Like, he was booking it. We were both kind of like booking it um and yeah so it was a very brief exchange but yeah there was a little bit of an exchange there and then we went down through um called a love for cause yep which was absolutely nuts like deafeningly loud like i might have ear i might have like ear (laughs) damage after this race like called a love for cause and And uh notre dame de la gorge were insanely loud like like deafeningly loud, like when like like you get out of the tunnel of people and you're just like, I think my ears might be ringing. Like it was, I don't think it's ever been that loud in all my years at UTMB. Like I don't know what sort of like alarm they sounded yeah. for like fan recruitment this year, but it was it was nuts. Yeah. Okay, so again, we could talk for two hours, and I want to be respectful of your time, but. Eventually, you know, Jim was able to, to build a gap and pull away. Yeah. We got to see you leaving Valor scene and, you, you know, obviously you'd had 95 miles in your legs at that point, but you're still moving super well. And, you know, you close the loop in 1958, 59 and, you know, make it interesting all the way up into the finish. And there's this iconic moment of you crossing the finish line, pointing at Jim I'd love for you to just like maybe tell us about the feeling, about the conversation that you had with Jim, you know, understanding how much you guys were able to to push each other to these historic performances. And of course, there's always that storyline of Americans not being able to pull it together and you guys finished one too. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a really special moment. Um, Like, like you said, I mean, it was... Even in those late stages of the race, I was I was still trying to catch Jim, you know, and 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 when I crossed the finish line, um, yeah, I didn't really like I didn't even think to do that, like pointing at him. like I didn't think preemptively. Course, I didn't even yeah. know, you know, you don't even know if he's gonna be like sitting there. He might be off like taking a shower or something, you know. What yeah. I mean, like, um, you know, he's in like twenty minutes before me, so. <laughs> um, but no, I just kind of like, it was just very natural. Like I came up and I guess I must have saw him standing there. And yeah, I just like pointed. It was like, it's just kind of like, dude, like you stinking <laughs> did, did it. Like yeah. you're the guy, like you, you got it. Like, yeah. you know, and we were out there together racing and like, 
you know, there's, there's, there, you know, we chit chat while we're out there, but I think there's probably this sort of like unspoken, like sort of like camaraderie of like, okay, look, we're both here for the millionth time at this race. <laughs> we're both obviously chasing this same white whale, like, Maybe you get it this year. Maybe I get it, you know, this year. Maybe we both blow up, like, pretty much most years and <laughs> neither of us gets it, you know? Like, um, but, like, maybe this is the year. Like, maybe we both run out front and one of us, ha- you know, hangs on. And then and then to be able to run out, to eventually run out front kind of together and then both hang on to finish one, two, um was was very special yeah. um and and yeah i mean i i think one one of the things with racing is like it's a great it's a great sign of respect to to race someone with everything you've got mm-hmm. cuz that brings out the best in in, in everybody mm-hmm. you know if i if i race someone if i beat someone i want to know that they gave me their absolute best yeah. and you know, and, and if someone beats me, I would want to give them my absolute best. It's mm-hmm. sort of like this this sign of respect. Like, I'll give you my best, and you give me your best, and then we'll see who is the best. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's like, that's like what Jim and I were doing out there. Mm-hmm. And that drove to, um, you, know, uh, fortunate, you know, fortunately a great day yeah. for both of us. We were both out there pushing and competing and when the chips fell, we ended up one two, which, which I I it was really special to be able to like, Jim totally, you know, very deserving of the win. He he blew he ran very well tactically. He was so strong over the final uh, two three climbs really. Yeah. Um, and you know I tried to catch him and yeah. was unable to, and like hats off to him for like. He was just so so very strong out it's a there. Race. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it was. It's just very special to finish one two with him um, in that race in that way. Um, yeah, and I'm grateful for like all the effort and time yeah. and energy he put into to being a part of that. Amazing, dude. Final question for you. One of the things I've been thinking about and that we've talked about on our little daily show a couple of times is. You know, through 2018, you know, you had just this spectacular, you know, career, your world dominator. And you had three years on the shelf, and now you're back winning Terrawera, sixth in the world championships, sub-20 at UTMB. And I think it's really relatable for a lot of people who maybe go through long periods of injury or whatever, of just like, you know, not giving up. And eventually, you know, you can sort of come back from anything. Is any anything you want to say to people out there who may be going through something similar? Because, I don't know, to me, it's like, holy smokes, Zach Miller back on top of the world after a really long period of hardship. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you want to have something, like, very profound to say, yeah. but it's like, I'm also, like, a bit of a realist, I guess, and it's like, yeah, there are just some really crummy hard times yeah. that you'll go through like in life and as an athlete and I I guess you just have to like you have to decide what's really important to you and what you really want and if it's that important and you want it you got to find a way to try and hang on and 
make it happen. Because, mm-hmm. like, there often is a way or there is a solution. It might not look exactly like you thought it would, um, but there, there, there often is some sort of way. Um, and, like, if you're in that spot, like, um, hang in there. Because yeah. I know it can be, like, very dark and, like, depressing and just a really rough spot to yeah. be. Um, you know, injuries are, are no fun. Uh, but yeah, I guess like just hang in there and like stick to it, get the help you need. Um, you know, and just like hang on to what it is that you really want, you know, or, or maybe in some cases you, you have to reinvent a bit, but like, you know, there is, there is often like, for as cheesy as it sounds, there's often light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, awesome. And I had a long tunnel. Probably not the longest tunnel. There's people with longer tunnels. It's a long but, tunnel. But, but it felt very long yeah. and dark when I was in it. And um, yeah, so it is And possible. there will be tunnels ahead in the future. Oh, yeah, and that's why it's sure. important to for savor sure. this spectacular yeah. achievement. Yeah. I, look, you can see I have goosebumps right now, Zach. <laughs> um, dude, Congratulations. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for making the time. I hope you're super proud, and I hope uh, recovery goes well. Yeah, thank you very much, Dylan. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.